So nice to be of the first to say to you a very pleasant good afternoon. Actually, it's uh, it's more than pleasant. It's another beautiful afternoon for this Wednesday, November 15th. It's a beauty. Lots of sunshine, mild temperatures. I know this will end. I just don't want to know ahead of time when it will end. I'll know it has ended when I see and feel it. I guess that's one way of looking at it. Meanwhile... Dave Rieger, our producer, Daniel Mason running all the controls, Rich Luzinski keeping us on top of traffic, WJR traffic and weather first. And there is so much to talk about. I, I don't know where we should begin. Mr. Rieger, do you have a starting point that you like? I've got so many stories in front of me to talk about. This GM UAW thing's a little uh, insane. Well, uh, but the latest news, I know the headline in the Detroit News, GMUAW ratification vote is at risk. Pact receiving 51.4% yes votes with some of the largest plants still to come. I, I just got a text message saying that they're close to ratification. So we'll know what we know when we know it. But it's not a surprise that not everybody is pleased because what we've learned is you cannot please everyone, ever. And when you try, you fail. Look at President Biden trying to please all the people who are pulling all his strings behind the scenes. He's meeting with, he's meeting with China's Xi today. Are they still meeting in San Francisco? How's he going to make excuses for how bad San Francisco looks? Are they going to keep the Chinese president to premier away from uh, all of the, the tenderloin and all those horrific places uh, in San Francisco. They must be keeping them away from there. But it's still there, isn't it? That meeting is in San Francisco. As far as I know. Yeah. And, well, the, T, and the TL is quite the place. So, yeah, I, uh, I agree with you. Keep them away from there. Yeah, they're going to have to. So that'll be interesting. And people are hoping that uh, President Biden will ask Xi to release some political prisoners China holds. Now, Anyone ready to hold their breath on that one? No, I didn't think so. And uh, I don't know how much money the president will give to Xi. Uh, he obviously had some kind of a deal that he had to do with uh, Iran, keeps uh, putting forward billions of dollars and claiming it's for humanitarian purposes. What a joke. Uh, they must know a lot, and he just doesn't want them to talk. I can't think of another reason. He's been doing what he's been doing. But let's get to some of the other news of the day. We'll get an update on the GMUAW ratification as it becomes available. We did see uh, uh, last, yes, well, yesterday, last night, I kept seeing it over and over again, The uh, some of the unbelievable stuff going on in our world. Okay, so Kim tells me the uh, presidential meeting is 25 miles outside of San Francisco. That should be far enough to get him away from the stench and the horror, the horrible circumstances that uh, poor San Franciscans are living in. It's interesting that that the governor uh, of the California would clean it up for Chinese visitors, but not for the people that live there. Meanwhile, so we have a United States senator and Sean O'Brien. We've got this guy, Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma challenging Sean O'Brien, the president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, to uh, stand your butt up and have a fist fight. Did you see that, Rieger? I did see that. That was 
That was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, there is a little backstory that no one's telling, and the backstory, two parts. One, this, uh, this uh, Sean O'Brien is a well-known bully who's been reprimanded by his own union a number of times for being a bully, and he has sent horrific texts and things online about this Senator Mullen, including uh, challenging Senator Mullen to a fight. So Senator Mullen, being a fine Oklahoman, said, okay, we're here face-to-face, let's do it. And uh, I don't don't know if he really was going to do it, if he was ready. He said uh, later in interviews that he actually was paid to fight in the past. I guess he was a a professional fighter at one point. I know nothing about him. I know nothing about uh, O'Brien, the uh, the guy from uh, the Teamsters, other than what I've now heard. And uh, it's just unbelievable. And there's Bernie Sanders. Stop it. <laughs> You're a United States senator. Sit down. Oh, that was wild. That was wild. But you know what? It's happening everywhere. Look at what happened on the basketball court. Look at the, you got a player in a headlock. They just started. These guys, and what are they, they they should be suspended. They should be fined. I mean, real fines. Kids are watching these basketball players and learning how to play the game. And this is not, headlocks are not a part of any basketball game that I know of. But it gets worse. Let's not forget about the hockey player, who we've now seen the video of too many times. Falling down, kicking his leg up at the face of an opposing hockey player, catches the hockey player with a razor-sharp skate in the throat and kills him. You know what I'm talking about, Rieger? Yes. That uh, is uh, not good by any means uh, to be kicking somebody with those hockey skates. He's now being charged with murder or manslaughter or one of those charges. And he should be, because there is no place in all of his training and upbringing was there a play where you fall to your side, kicking your leg up at a guy's neck with your sharp skate. Nowhere did he ever learn that as anything in hockey. So he will be, if he hasn't already been arrested, arrested and charged with one form of manslaughter or murder, and he should be. And he should go away forever. It continues, Rieger. Republican Representative Tim Burchett accuses former Speaker Kevin McCarthy of elbowing him in the kidneys. Did you see this one? I did. And then they uh, they were talking about the uh, about Gargamel and the Smurfs because he was the evil villain villain in the cartoon. And yeah, it's. It's, it's nuts. This is, these are our leaders. Is there any question or wonder why they get nothing done? And they consistently make buffoons of themselves as we race toward a deadline Friday again. The simplest of things on their list of things they need to do is keep the government running. With buffoons like this, I know it's easy to say, well, we won't, we don't really care if the government is running. Well, There are good people out there, especially in the military and other areas of service to us, that deserve to get paid. And eventually some of them will not be paid if they don't get their act together. But they're busy 
elbowing or denying or claiming that you were elbowed in the kidneys. And, oh, public broadcasting has it. And, oh, the ex-speaker denies it. And, oh, I am going to vomit with these people in what used to be highly esteemed and respected positions that they have now earned our lack of trust. Just unbelievable. (sighs) Okay. Sorry about all that. Uh, Here's one closer to home. These poor folks at Oakland Hills. I mean, what a tragic fire in February of 2022. And now we're seeing a story by Tony Paul in the Detroit News that the groundbreaking on the Oakland Hills Country Club's new clubhouse and additional amenities, which was set for this month, has been delayed amid project cost overruns. And the club is asking the membership to fund these cost overruns. Nearly uh, nearly $56 million more dollars. The whole cost is in excess of $100 million. It started at $80 million, And, of course, it'll be higher than $100 million when they're done. That's not a surprise. But the question is just how much can the members take? And why did the insurance only cover half of the first amount anyway? I, I, I don't know. Somebody... Maybe somebody saved some money on their, uh, you know, their their deductible or whatever, but they're regretting it a lot. We haven't even gotten into uh, Hamas and Israel. We will. We've got uh, things on the economy and how that's going to affect us. And uh, right up to the uh, Gaza hospital that we've now seen uh, is where Hamas has put people and a stronghold, weapons included, Uh, It'll be interesting how that is covered by the media. We'll get into all of this in focus today on a sunshiny, beautiful Wednesday, November 15th. Glad we're here together. If you can't join us noon to 2, join us with a podcast at thegreatvoice.com. Individual interviews as well as the whole doggone show, thegreatvoice.com. Hope you'll join us as we continue on WJR. Well, I'll tell you, um, we talked about a lot of things, but uh, one of the things we uh, said we would talk about, we're talking about right away, uh, and that's the international picture and how bad it is. And so we are checking in with our Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor Jonathan Savage, on the very latest on the war. Uh, the Much of the talking is about what's happening surrounding the largest Gaza hospital, uh, which is said to be digging mass graves, and uh, and the huge rallies, big rally in Washington, uh, one in Paris, 300,000, they said, in Paris in support of Israel, and the rally in Washington yesterday in support of Israel, with many Detroiters actually going there and then having trouble when their bus drivers walked off the job when they found out who they were carrying. I'm telling you, Anti-Semitism is rampant in this country, and it appears the country was just waiting for an excuse uh, to explode. So they've used a lot of disinformation, even coming from certain Congress people, to uh, further uh, feel that they're in the right for hating Israelis and Jews. All right, with that backdrop, Jonathan Savage always does a great job for us, and he's here to do that now with the very latest in Gaza and with Israel. Good afternoon, Jonathan. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Nice to have you with us. Uh, it is an ongoing story that 
seems to get legs and changes from time to time. Israel was working overtime to prove there was a reason that they were attacking around this hospital and in this hospital. They seem to prove that there were at least lots of tunnels. And uh, again, it's Hamas causing trouble for the uh, for the uh, Palestinians, and, and yet they, they are held harmless. They're like Teflon among the Palestinian people and the people who are rooting them on uh, around our country and elsewhere. Uh, for the last 15 hours, um, what I think people feared would happen happened, but what they feared would happen didn't happen. Israeli troops have managed to enter. They've, they've entered the grounds of the hospital. They've entered the hospital building itself. And over the past few days, a lot of people were worried that this would lead to gunfire, to fighting and bloodshed within the walls of the hospital itself. It doesn't appear as though it's happened like that. Um, Israel, of course, says that this hospital sits on top of a Hamas command and control centre. They entered this building. They've been searching the rooms, the base trying to find Hamas militants, trying to find weapons, trying to find uh, terror infrastructure. Um, and they do say they have found unspecified weapons um, and they had a clash with the militants on the outside. But inside, no fighting, no friction, we're told, with civilians, with patients or with staff. Um, a journalist who's inside the hospital said that soldiers have been going room to room and interrogating people, but there hasn't been any shooting taking place. Um, that hasn't stopped condemnation of Israel's operation at the hospital from the likes of the World Health Organization who are worried about any military operation taking place in what should be a civilian uh, location. I don't remember uh, what the Worthless Health Organization did upon the initiation of this whole war by Hamas uh, coming in and butchering 1,400 uh, non-soldier Israelis uh, from all ages. Uh, I don't remember that. So that's why the World Health Organization, Worthless Health Organization, means nothing to anyone who thinks or pays attention. Uh, meanwhile, how could there be any Hamas... Uh, I like to do it this way. Hamas militants. How could there be any of them left in those tunnels when Israel had to announce for days they were going to go in there? Because Israel, yeah, Israel has to announce everything they're doing because they think that's going to change the world's view. And unfortunately, those who want to hate are going to hate no matter what they come up with. Yeah, Israel announced in the days past that this was obviously their intention. And they say that in the hours and days before their operation began, they were in contact with hospital staff themselves, that they were involved in evacuating a number of civilians from the premises. Um, someone I was talking to earlier sort of described it as a bit of whack-a-mole situation at the moment, um, really trying to find out where Hamas are, are operating from, um, where their, their base, where their command centres are. Um, uh, but the, I'm sure the focus being on this hospital perhaps changed the, the position slightly. But Israel certainly feel that they've got something to get out of going to the hospital, of searching it, searching the basements, trying to find out what's been left behind if Hamas leaders or militants are no longer there, as, as would appear to be the case. Well, you know, and uh, boy, we keep hearing how these hospitals don't have electricity because their generators don't have fuel. We know Hamas has fuel. We know Hamas has water. We know Hamas has food. But these Palestinians that they care so much about that they would use them as shields, uh, won't, Hamas won't give any of that in abundance that they have to the Palestinian people. And yet the Palestinian people still believe 
Hamas is there for them. I can't figure that out. I guess it's because it started getting drilled into their heads when they were little kids. I, I just don't know. I know there's been bad treatment by Israel, but nothing that would cause what we saw at the beginning of this war, or at least one wouldn't think. We don't go through it. We don't know. But it's just astonishing to me that Hamas is in a position to help and isn't. Um, there have been a number of polls about um, about the, the views of of Palestinians on, on Hamas, and there was sort of an increase in the number of Palestinians who, who don't trust Hamas um, around about the, the start of the, the month or two ago before the start of this war, reaching to about 40-odd percent. Um, and Israel do say that their war is with Hamas and not the Palestinian people. Um, and, of course, people will be looking to see what will the effect of, of the last six weeks be once this war comes to an end? Will it lead to Palestinians turning even further away from Hamas as a potential leader? Um, or will it, as some people fear, lead to radicalization because of the way that Israel has conducted this war? They have they have gone in in a, a really a full-throated way. They have, um, in the eyes of many, uh, put too many Palestinian lives at risk. Israel say, of course, that this is an existential crisis for them and they have to do all they can to destroy Hamas or else Israeli lives and the Israeli nation will be at risk. Interesting, uh, as we also see that, first of all, I, I've seen no number on the demonstrations, uh, peaceful, by the way, totally peaceful demonstrations pro-Israel yesterday in Washington. They keep saying tens of thousands, but there certainly were a couple hundred thousand, I would think, just from guessing. Um, and we were told a number in Paris, they said 300,000 people in the streets on behalf of Israel. And now we have all these other demonstrators all over the place. Several hundred demonstrators protested outside the Israeli parliament yesterday, last night actually, and demanded the resignation of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, saying he is unfit for office. The protesters carried signs blaming Netanyahu for the October 7th attack. Well, as I said, on October 7th or thereabouts, uh, this government, uh, headed by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, will not survive, clearly, because they blew this. There's no question. And they know that. But they also know that while they're at war, until this is over, they're in their positions. So that's another thought about, about why they might have the war go on a little longer than maybe it would have otherwise, because once that happens, the Israeli people are going to turn on Benjamin Netanyahu, it appears they already have started, didn't have to wait for the war to end. Jonathan Savage, always a nice job. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Take care. Jonathan Savage, Fox News correspondent and WJR contributor, as we continue in focus. I've known uh, I've known Fritz, and I've known the name Fritz Seifert uh, for years. And I've always not known if it's supposed to be Seifert or Seifert, but I, I call him Fritz. And he has written a new great book, but the timing couldn't be better. This is Unleashing Sustainable Greatness, The Shift from Me to Team by Fritz Seyfrith. And uh, he dedicates the book to his wife, Lynn, and the amazing children that she raised, the 12 grandchildren, etc., his parents, Jack and Corey, and to his mentor, Bo Schembechler who Fritz goes on to say was a best friend, father figure, and confidant much of my life. And that's one of the first things I wanted to ask you about, Fritz. Congratulations on the new book, The Shift from Me to Team. Good job. 
Well, thank you, Paul W. It's so wonderful to be with you again. It's been a long time. Way too long, that's for sure. But you have to know that I'm going to ask you this because no one knew Bo better. What's your take on this massive uh, turn against our Michigan Wolverines? Proud, proud graduate myself. What's this? Why are so many people hating on us? And here's the question. WWBD, what would Bo do? Yeah, this is, this is one of the things that is so tough when you have such a strong brand like the University of Michigan, uh, University of Michigan Athletics, Michigan football. It is huge, and it's, bi- it's built on integrity. Uh, it's a, built on respect. Uh, it's built on teamwork. And anytime there's an incident that may reflect negatively on you, it can get blown up in the media to be much bigger. And the reality is there is a responsibility. But, you know, I was the first person hired to support Michigan football in 1979. Today, there must be 50 of these people helping Michigan football become even better. It is the head coach's responsibility. It is the athletic director's responsibility to make sure that people are doing the right thing. But let me give you a, a story, if you don't mind. I was with Mike Hankwitz, who was a teammate of mine in Bo's first year at Michigan, who went on to be the legendary defensive coordinator at Northwestern. When Pat Fitzgerald was let go, I got together with him, and he shared, do you think for a moment any one of us on his staff would have tolerated what they've accused him of permitting to take place? And so it may have taken place in some nuanced areas, but the the guarantee is the staff did not know about this. And so, yes, there's a responsibility. But there, I can guarantee you, there's no knowledge that would not have been tolerated because that goes against everything you stand for. Well, I, I hear you, I believe you, and I hope that that's absolutely true. I guess we'll find out. But we have a, a moron who is the head of the Big Ten. My words, not yours. Who felt pressured by his buddies to rush to judgment before there could be a judgment that would be fairly made on the facts. That being said. You take the coach off the sideline, that never comes back. In the end, when they find out this, none of this was true, you can't get that back. It's gone. So shame on that guy. I can't even remember his name, and I don't ever want to remember it again. <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile. But, but, guess... it, but, but one of the things it does, though, it brings out the character of a program when you get challenged like that. When you get, when you get put you know, in the corner, your character gets a chance to be revealed and to see who you really are as a team. And so... Actually, it helped build the Michigan program and show who it is and what it stands for and that it's, it's going to stand up for itself. Well, good point. Let me get back to uh, what we originally wanted to talk about, this great new book, uh, Unleashing Sustainable Greatness, The Shift from Me to Team by Fritz. Do you say Seyfirth or Seyfirth? Seyfirth, but we <laughs> oh, I've always, I've always called you Seyfirth. All right, Seyfirth. Okay, S E Y. F-E-R-T-H, okay, after all these years. Now, we all, as you say in the book, we all want to be valued and provided the opportunity to make a contribution individually, collectively. We possess a capacity for greatness that is too often unrealized. In an organization, it is our team members, the human capital, who can optimize assets for the benefit of all. Any organization, regardless of size, can tap into this potential for positive, sustainable success. In the shift from me to team, you share how leaders can shift from a me mindset to a team mindset 
to achieve sustainable success and create a culture where all can thrive. That opens the door to who needs this book, which is virtually anyone in business and in this kind of a position where they want to bring the me's together as a team. Yeah, Paul, we're all insecure, and the reality is we all want to be better than we are. We try to pretend that we're better than we really are, and it's that humility that says, I need you. I need, I need other people's perspectives to help. And if I may just share a quick story, my first meeting with Bo, um, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. There's 12 of us around the, the boardroom table. And he gets into a heated argument with our staff about some a point he wanted to make very clear. This is, and it was on integrity. He wanted to make sure that we didn't miss this opportunity to learn and to grow. And Don Nalen, legendary football coach at West Virginia, and Terrell Burton, the legendary running back coach at Michigan, both stood up and addressed Bo as fervently as he was addressing them with an accusation that they may have done something wrong. And I thought, this is different. Having been part of two professional football teams, the BF Goodrich in Akron, Ohio, as an international consultant, and Arthur Young and Company in New York City as a consultant, I'd never experienced anything like this. I said, maybe this is what's behind creating this sustainable greatness Bo has developed. And it is that. It's not about his opinion. If you don't want to argue with him, you're not going to be in the room because he wants a collective mindset, not just his. That was that's insightful and important for leaders to realize because you're hard-pressed to find a better leader uh, than Bo Schembechler. And you were with him. He, you, he was like a second father to you. He was your mentor. And uh, you put a lot of the knowledge, a lot of the things that you learned into your new book, The Shift from Me to Team, by Fritz Seiferth, S-E-Y-F-E-R-T-H. Where can people get this book? This, to me would be an excellent gift to ourselves and to others that we would like to give a nice holiday gift to. Where do we get this? Well, it's in Apple Books, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, and it's an e-book, it's a hardcover book, and it's an audio book. Well, that's fabulous. I mean, there are plenty of places to get it, and people will be able to get it in time. Yes. Yep. Anything else we need to know about the book or about... Uh, What's going on at Michigan right now? No, this is, you know, the test of time will come, and you know, it is unfortunate that the judgment was rendered with uh, lack of an understanding of, of really what this game is all about and what's, and what's really important. Um, and, and, you know, if we want to talk about integrity, there's a lot bigger things going on in, in football that are not, uh, that they should pay attention to than the idea of sign stealing. Well, that's an interesting and, change, and they change their signs every week anyway, so it, it doesn't really work very well. That's an excellent point. That's one I hadn't heard. They change their signs every week anyway. So if you stole the signs at a game a, a week or two before your own game, they're not going to be the same signs. How come no one's brought that up? Exactly. Exactly. Because they know this is going on. The people are studying what they did last week, so they got to change it. Fritz, thanks much. Good to catch up with you. Uh, don't be a stranger around here. I uh, I know that uh, this is your second book. First one was The Heart of a Champion in 2008 with Bo and uh, Dr. Kim Eagle. So you've got another book in you. We want to know about it when it comes out. You're awesome, Paul W. So great to be with you. Nice to be with Fritz Seifert. And uh, he's a team culture coach. His new book, The Shift from Me to Team, Unleashing Sustainable Greatness, as we continue on WJR.
Well, here we go. General Motors workers appear to be on track to vote down a record United Auto Workers deal with the company. Now, this is very fluid and changes by the minute, or at least the hour. Our WJR senior news analyst, Marie Osborne, has the very latest on the vote and a look at what may be behind it. Good afternoon, Marie. Hi, Hi, Paul. Yeah, a majority of UAW members at several major GM plants have voted against the pact, in most cases with a result of about 55 to 64, uh, 60% against. At least that's what it looks like right now. The facilities combined to represent more than 23,000 or about half of GM's 46,000 union employees. Voting results at a number of the smaller GM facilities are unknown or yet to be finalized. Several of the small facilities, as well as assembly plants in Michigan and Kansas, have voted in favor of the deal. This has been a historically long and contentious round of negotiations between the UAW and the the United Auto Workers and General Motors. GM was the last to hammer out a deal with the union. Remember that. Similar tentative agreements at Ford and Stellantis have so far at least received higher voter approvals. Now, if this deal goes down, what happens? UAW President Sean Fain and other leaders will need to decide Well, what happens next? How they secure a better deal for GM's union workers? They could reinstate uh, reinstate the strike against the automaker. Uh, There is this uh, known fact that if they have to go back to the negotiating table, they will start with a new contract. They're not going to just start where they were, where they left off. The company also could agree to reopen the talks to follow what Mack Trucks uh, has recently done to submit the prior offer with little or no changes as what's known as a last, best, and final offer. We we just don't know what's going to happen there, Paul. And some longtime workers say this new contract, what's bugging them about it is that the new contract is heavily weighted to younger workers and really doesn't do enough for those at the top of the pay scale who are seeing inflation eating away at their compensation. Can you imagine either side of the negotiating table getting that exhausted thrill of at least, if not the best deal for one side or the other, at least being done with it and moving forward and then finding out that that may not be the case? I can't even I, imagine. I, yeah, I just can't imagine either. It's this has been, and you know, when we've talked about this for so long, this was a long strike. It was contentious, and especially between GM uh, and the UAW, it was a right? very long-fought negotiation. You recall at three or four in the morning when they were signing off on it, and Sean Fain all of a sudden decides there should be a handshake uh, ceremony, which he would not do in the beginning, which has always been done. He called them the enemy in the beginning, which has never been done. And then I think Mary Barra was quoted as saying, uh, maybe we skipped that this time or whatever. So Mm -hmm. it didn't end, obviously, on a happy note. Everybody didn't smile, shake hands and say, oh, well, this is good. I'm glad we're done, blah, blah, blah. It it was not good. To bring them back together to have to redo this is going to be a problem. But I don't don't know. I somehow think this is going to work out because... There's a lot of peer pressure to get people to uh, accept something in a situation like this, don't you think? 
Right, and you'll remember that they did these rolling strikes, so they uh, targeted strikes. So some people were out for a long stretch of time, right? They were making, making that 500, 500 bucks a week. Yeah, yeah, they were they were out for a long time, and a lot of them were not. So I don't know how some of those workers that were out for a long time are kind of looking at, geez, I got to go back out again. Yeah, and I think all, all of them, I, I don't know how they figure this out, and this may not be correct, but I, I thought all of them got a $5,000 signing bonus. And if you were out for uh, many more weeks than the other people, you wonder why you get the same amount as the people who were out for a day or two. No, I think you're absolutely correct. The signing bonus was a number, and that was the number for everybody. Um, also, I've heard this uh a couple of uh, people talking that this could be indicative of the problems between the worker management relationship at General Motors, that they've got some work to do on that front where Stellantis and Ford, you know, obviously are doing a little better in terms of the ratification vote. So maybe they've got other issues at GM that they need to be looking at. Maybe. Got a quick note here from Kim to you. Uh, oh. Recognizing today is National Bunt Day. Oh, I love you know a that? good bunt cake, yes. Well, you make the best bunt cakes. That's why she's sending <laughs> this along for you. And I didn't know this, but a bunt cake can be any kind of cake as long as they're baked in a bunt pan. Right. And there are some original bunt pans that were manufactured in the 1950s in the Smithsonian. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, at my, at, <laughs> at my house, my husband has forbidden me, forbidden me to buy any more bunt pans. <laughs> How many do you need? Uh, well, <laughs> that's what John are, asked. You know what? I'll take a picture and I'll send it to you about I'll, I'll selection, some of my selection. That well, I you're have, in the so you're that. in this number then because to date over sixty million bunt pans have been sold in the U.S. Sixty Keep million them coming. Yeah. And uh, and do you you don't uh, frost your bunt cake? Generally, they're not frosted. Apparently. You know what? I I don't because the cake has like a lot of times it has a nice little crusty exterior so that's good so sometimes you could do a little chocolate sauce or but usually powdered sugar is all you need on those babies and, and then you might go. bake something in the cake like you say but have you ever heard right. of a wonder pot uh no i don't a think a wonder I know what pot is. is a pan with a shape similar to a bunt pan but it's used for stovetop baking interestingly enough oh Interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. look that up. See I've now, you can tell that. John. You can tell John when you buy a Wonder Pot. Well, no, well, I hope you're having a great afternoon, sunny and beautiful this November fifteenth, Wednesday. Some say Hump Day, middle of the week. Lots going on. Uh, President Biden meeting with China's uh, Premier Xi, whatever whatever his whole name is, doesn't much matter. Uh, I'll have to learn it when they take over the world. Uh, but right now, I don't have to. So, meanwhile, uh, that's what's going on. Will anything come of it? How much money will he give them, I wonder, as he continues to free up money for Iran as they continue to attack our soldiers? Pretty, pretty incredible. History will reflect this as being incredible. Thousands of Jews and allies of the Jewish community, the Jewish state, gathered yesterday for the March for Israel rally in Washington, Washington D.C., uh, Rieger, have you seen any numbers? All I ever heard somebody say was tens of thousands. Yeah, I didn't see anything specific. Yeah, I'm going to say at least 200,000 people. A lot of I don't people. know why they're afraid to say it. A lot of people. A hell of a lot of people. And uh, in, in Paris, they said there were 300,000 pro-Israel marchers the other day. They're not afraid to say a number. I can't figure that one out. You know, astronomers have spotted a galaxy that closely resembles the Milky Way. 
I did not see that. Yeah, oh. this one they're calling Snickers. But it's changing scientists' <laughs> understanding. There we go. Thank you. It, at least. You can always count on Danielle. Danielle. Yes, I, Danielle. We should have a mic on Danielle at all times. Danielle? I'm sorry. There is one in front of me. I just, you know, I don't, I forget. Okay. All right. Well, I thank you for the laugh. I appreciate that. Uh, so this is this is supposedly changing scientists' understanding of the beginning stages of the universe. I, I don't know. You know, this is a out of my league, as they say, above my pay grade and everything else they say. U.N. trucks expected to bring fuel into Gaza today, even though Hamas has plenty of fuel and will not share it with the Palestinian hospitals, those little babies that need fuel in the generators so that they can get in their incubators. You know how much... Hamas cares about the Palestinian people. Ask that to Congresswoman, what's her name? Uh, they care about the people. Yeah, there they go. That's why they attacked Israel, putting a sharp stick in the, the bear's belly, knowing exactly how the bear would react, raining hell and terror on the Palestinian people. How bad is that? I just can't figure it out. Anyway, the House passed a stopgap bill yesterday to keep the government open putting Congress on a path to avert a shutdown till at least Saturday. It, it would shut down Friday. This will keep it open till Saturday. I am exaggerating, but because uh, they that's that's the kind of uh, respect they have garnered after we've had uh, guys uh, uh, elbowing guys in the kidney, other guys challenging other people to fist fights. Uh, it's just... you. What is actually you going on? What's actually going not, on in the government? You what, couldn't what? make this up. What is actually going on? I don't, I'm not. We're singing. It's just, this is the craziest. I've never, I don't understand. We are singing. We're reaping what we've sown or something like that. There's a good line in there somewhere. Uh, We are, you know, when Bernie Sanders is stopping a fist fight between a, a United States senator and a Teamsters president. Now, albeit they're not saying in the story the Teamsters send him all kinds of bad things and said bad things about him publicly on one of those social networks uh, where everyone says bad things about everybody. Um, And this Teamsters president, by the way, has been punished by his own union for being a bully. But be that as it may, um, I, I don't know what's going on, but it's only lowering our respect level for all these different uh, levels of uh, of uh, of Congress and Senate and and the the people who are supposed to be working for us, it's not happening. It it just it's just unbelievable. I don't I don't know. It it turns me off completely. I don't even want to think about it or talk about it. We'll have to as the government collapses, but not right at the moment. Um, I, right at the moment, I'm going to talk about something that maybe would get your attention there, uh, Rieger, and that is this. Did you hear this story? And I'm sure we all think we had one of these, but not this one. Not this one. A, we all had we all had baseball cards, right? We wanted the gum at least. Some cared more about the gum than the baseball card, but the baseball card was an important part of it. And we're all sure that our mothers threw them all away. And we could be multimillionaires. Okay, we already got that off. There's a rare 1914 Babe Ruth rookie card. You could call it the holy grail for baseball card collectors. The 1914 Baltimore News Babe Ruth rookie card, one of only 10 known to be still in existence. Apparently, 
apparently uh, orphans got this because they didn't have a mother to throw them away. I don't know exactly why the rest of them were thrown away. But anyway, only one of ten known to be in existence. Headed for the auction block. It's a red-bordered card depicting the Great Bambino. And what do you think it is expected to fetch in auction? What number are they throwing around, Rieger? They're throwing around $10 million. I, I knew you would care and know about this. It is absolutely crazy that uh, the Honus Wagner cards are going to get beat by this Babe Ruth card. $10 million is what they're expecting. And generally when they say they're expecting $10 million, somebody comes in and buys it for 15 or 20 They're calling it the rarest baseball card ever. Ever. Okay, I'm going to ask a question. I don't mean to upset people, but what does it mean to you or me or our friends listening to be able to tell somebody at Thanksgiving or wherever you get a chance to talk to people that you have the rarest baseball card in, in history? What does that get you? If you can find somebody to buy it, if you're going to sell it, then it can get you some money. That's what it. Can, that's what it can get you. You know, when I was in college, I did a uh, I did a paper on um, collectibles and um, all kinds of different memorabilia, and the amount of uh, like scams that go on and memorabilia that's not real that's out there is is crazy. The research that I had done. It's 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 uh it's like anything else, you know. You really have to be on top of it. Yeah, and well, make sure it's, if there's a lot of money involved, there's a lot of uh, yeah, theft, thievery. I just I just remember uh, like a pair of shoes that were worn by Stan Musial, the baseball player. But if you looked inside of the uh, the shoes, the tag, they were manufactured like ten years after his death and made in China. You, you know, probably. like that that kind of stuff. <laughs> So well, when you can this, find something rare like this, I just want to be able to go to like an an estate sale or a garage sale, and find like uh, or you see it on like um, the antiques roadshow all the time. Like I found this this Picasso uh, painting that was behind this other painting. I paid six dollars for it at like an estate sale, yeah. and now it's worth like you know two million dollars. Yeah, that we, never happens to me. No, well, it doesn't have to most of us, but that, that sh- that's why that show exists, because we all believe that in all of the stacks of junk... And I want to like punch myself, the television set when I see it. Well, all that junk that we have that we believe uh, isn't really junk, but is, but we believe in there there's a, a, there's a diamond in the rough, so to speak. This uh, card uh, was uh, apparently collected by a 16-year-old paperboy, and he kept it in the family and uh, passed it on down to his kids and uh, others, and now they're saying it's going to get like $10 million coming up. Uh, and you're right. It'll get more than $10 million. Oh, yeah, it will. Uh, Mickey Mantle got $12.5 million, for goodness sakes. So, uh, it'll, break, it'll break it. It'll break the record. Yeah. Everything does. Like I, saw an, I, I, saw an, I saw an Ozzie, I saw an Ozzie Smith card. There's only 10 perfect Ozzie Smith cards in the world because it was part of a sheet of baseball cards and it was on the end and it's worth like five thousand dollars for when you know when he played for the padres before he became famous for the the smith family that was counting on that uh anyway i'm sure i'm just saying we probably have that one but anyway yeah i hear what you're saying um you wish you still had those baseball cards and you could go through them i understand i i do have cards that i uh that i have that i used to sell on ebay and um the, the key is to sell them at the right time 
Because if you get a player that they think might be good and you can sell it before they turn out to be a bust, RG3, then you're good. Hey, here, you're good if you're caller 9 at 1-800-859-0957, 1-800-859-0WJR. Caller 9 wins a pair of tickets to the evening performance of A Christmas Carol this Saturday, November 18th at Meadowbrook Theater. Everyone's favorite holiday classic back for its 44st, 41st year at Meadowbrook Theater. It's uh, underway starting November 17th through December 24th. This beloved production captivates audiences with the tale of a mean-spirited miser and the ghosts that haunt him. WJR used to do that show. In fact, I was the mean miser, typecasting. Official rules at WJR.com. Tickets available for purpose at MBTheater.com. Ninth caller right now at 1-800-859-0WJR. We continue. I just got a, a photo of a Marie's Bunt Cake Collection. <laughs> Bunt cake tin collection at her home. Uh, you know, John might have something there, Marie. I'm not sure you do need another bunt cake pan, but I'm just saying. I'm not getting in the middle of that. And I do love it when you bring your bunt cakes in as the bunt cake queen. All right. Uh, this is uh, some pretty good news here. The Dow soared nearly 500 points yesterday. I don't know what it's doing today, but yesterday about 500 points. As Wall Street cheered the inflation cool down. In the latest economic data for October, we had the pleasure, thanks to Steve Gregorian and the Detroit Economic Club, of having the president and CEO of the Federal Reserve's Chicago branch, Austin Gouley, uh, Goolsby, rather, uh, on our show yesterday, right uh, on the heels of all this good news. And then we thought, well, the guy we need to check in with is, of course, David Sowerby. Managing Director, Portfolio Manager of Ancora, because he'll let us know what all this means and how good or not this is for all of us. David, always a pleasure. Right back at you, Paul. Very good to be with you and your listeners. So U.S. consumer inflation eased in October because of cheaper gas, uh, which slowed overall price increases, which is kind of it's a little confusing, but give us your take. Well, let's go back to the to what you and I have talked about over the years. Inflation, think of it as a tax, takes away all your listeners' purchasing power. It it It's just debilitating to the economy. It's never good for uh, investors in the stock and the bond market. So as inflation rates have slowed down, they're still going up, they're still too high, but as it has come down and better than expected, the stock market has absolutely viewed that favorably. And just quickly, if I go back to the beginning of November, which Fed Reserve Chairman Jay Powell said that more likely they're going to pause on interest rates, then we get good news on inflation. Generally, third quarter corporate profits have been favorable for corporate America. And lo and behold, the S&P 500 is up 7% since the beginning of the month. And even better uh, for market breadth and participation, when you look at small cap stocks, they're up more than 8%. And here we go. It's been a, it's been a better backdrop for the investor. Has it been... Um... Shocking is too strong a word. 
has it been surprising, illuminating? Uh, I'm not sure how to use, but here we are as still facing increased food prices and higher interest rates, and yet we, the consumers, have remained relatively resilient in the face of this persistent inflation and spending more than economists thought, and therefore then keeping the economy growing well above expectations. How, what do you make of that? I, I, I view it this way. In all my years as an investor, one rule of thumb, one axiom is never underestimate the health of the U.S. consumer and U.S. households to manage their balance sheets, their income, their spending levels appropriately. That continues to be the case that the consumer is uh, pulling more than their share of the load in the economy, even in the face of, of disappointing inflation numbers. If you go back for the last three years, the cumulative cumulative rise in, in inflation rates is more than 15 percent. It can slow down, but you know, so many prices have gone up 20 to 25 percent. That, that's not good. But even in the face of that, the U.S. consumer and households, corporations, too, have managed to fight through those headwinds. I have to tell you, David Sowerby with us, Managing Director, Portfolio Manager of Ancora. You, uh, you hear him here and you have for years with us, even back when we were doing the early morning show. But you read his fine comments in the Wall Street Journal. You see him on Bloomberg News because people want to hear what David Sarby has to say, and we're thrilled to have him with us. And Including this morning, Paul W., Bloomberg TV this morning, just to, just to barge in on that. Thank well, you. Well, I'm glad you – and usually you let me know, and I let our listeners know, but this is after the fact. So uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe you can still go online to Bloomberg and see what, what you did. But um, be that as it may, all of these things uh, and the reasons that people call upon you is the – the level-headedness in which you handle these. I've in the past said you've you've held our hand. It's uh, You would be hard-pressed, I think, to find somebody, though, who says they have a great view of the economy. And certainly uh, when they do these polls, and I know polls are polls are polls, but they show that people don't seem pleased with the way the current president has handled the economy. Now, let, let's let's bisect it two ways. When, when you and I and households look at the big picture in the macro, they're disappointed, whether it's inflation, interest rates, global uncertainty, taxes, regulation, just to name a few items. They're concerned. But on the micro level, when you look at us individually and you say, I as a human being or my company, if I'm a small business, I understand the headwinds, but I'm going to find a way to fight my way through it, create value for my customers and my shareholders. And that seems to be the defining factor here in the face of bad spending, taxes, regulation, which simply slows down the ability of small business and households to, to fare even better. We have a, a, a lot of us, a lot of people, I'll say, um, have a, gloomy view of the economy and that's despite the very low unemployment and steady hiring i think what it is is that we can't help but feel the sting of the things that we buy regularly gas meat bread you know other groceries remain much higher than they were three years ago that's hard to forget they are they are and 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 three quick measures mortgage rates 
meaningfully higher. The price for a gallon of gas, also higher, higher. Food at food prices at home at the grocery store, meaningfully higher. Put all three together, and it's unacceptable where they are today versus where they were two and a half to three years ago. It has to be remedied, simply put. Well, and the other thing, though, is in our lives, how many times has something gone up and then somebody says, well, this is good news, this has happened or that's happened, and now we're going to reduce the price of these items? I I don't remember seeing that very often. No, go right back to the start of our conversation. Inflation's a tax, takes away our purchasing power. It, we need to see uh more moderation in the inflation rate. It's good for the economy. It's good for investors. Certainly good for a a state like Michigan. As is David Sowerby, good for all of us. Managing Director, Portfolio Manager of Ancora. Always a pleasure, David. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me with you, Paul. We continue on WJR In Focus. All right, nice uh, to be with you either uh, live Noon to 2, right here at 760 WJR, or you can catch our entire show in individual podcasts of the interviews or the entire show all put together at thegreatvoice.com. You can hear all of WJR's great programming at thegreatvoice.com, the podcast. But I hope you'll look for me, Paul W. Smith Focus, or Focus and Paul W. Smith. I'm not sure how they have it listed. They have it listed, and you press a button, and it'll just keep coming to you. Uh, which is uh, great because we miss you when we're not together. Ryan Schmelz is here, Fox News correspondent and WJR contributor, to talk about how it is our government and those we employ to serve us have earned a 13% approval rating. Let me get that right again. A 13% approval rating. I'm thinking, frankly, Ryan, uh, drug dealers might have a higher approval rating than that. Uh, good question. I mean, it, I'll just tell you, this has been a, a wild last 10 weeks. We're finally uh, adjourning for the Thanksgiving holiday. We found that out just a couple hours ago. Um, emotions are running high. We've had people accuse one another of, of, of assault. We've seen ethics complaint, people trying to expel one another. And we've once again seen Republicans come up short on a spending bill that happened just a, a couple hours ago. It is... It is almost astonishing, and people would almost think you were making all of this up, whether it was, well, I don't know where to begin. I mean, it, you, you got you got the senator, Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma, yeah. standing up and challenging a union leader who's a known bully. Um, actually, some people have said in Oklahoma, this guy probably just bought himself some extra thumbs up and points. This Republican, Mark Wayne Mullen, never heard of him, of Oklahoma. By, by calling out a guy who's been challenging him to fight, and all of a sudden they find each other face-to-face. But really, I don't think those Senate chambers are the places to have a fist fight. Not anymore. That went out, oh, 100 years ago. I don't know how long ago. But to see Bernie Sanders st- stopping the fight was actually almost worth it. Sit down. You're a, you're a United States senator. Act like it. Well, he was acting like the current uh, United States senator that he is. And then you get you get Kevin McCarthy being charged with elbowing a guy in the back. Tell us that story. That's another good one. Yeah, so you have Tim Burchett, who is one of the members who voted to expel 
uh, Speaker McCarthy as, as Speaker of the House. Uh, he was doing an interview with a reporter from NPR, and allegedly Speaker McCarthy walked by him in the hallway and elbowed him in the kidney. Now, he immediately stops the interview, then runs after McCarthy and tries to confront him about the situation. McCarthy said the side of the story is that that's not what happened. He's like, maybe we touched elbows, but I did not elbow him in the kidney. And McCarthy even said, you know, if, if I were to hit elbow somebody like that, they'd be, they would know. Yeah. Um, and one other thing that, you know, uh, McCarthy has kind of said is that, you know, Matt Gates has actually filed an ethics investigation over this, uh, or at least tried to, and, and, and it's requesting that of the ethics committee. But uh, he re- McCarthy responded to a question from us about that by pretty much saying, if there's any, any place Matt Gates should be, it's ethics. <sighs> well, with the uh, what this other guy, what Burchett considered a sucker punch, that elbow to the kidney, and McCarthy denying the whole thing. It'd be pretty stupid to do that while a guy is on camera, even if it is on public broadcasting. But uh, apparently they're in a book called Renegade, there's a couple of other instances where people are claiming <laughs> claiming that McCarthy shoulder-checked a guy twice when he began to speak out against former President Trump. And McCarthy said he didn't yeah, remember yeah. either incident. Uh, and then the guy who wrote the book said, oh, he knows. I mean, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. And how is it that we have this new House Speaker doing basically... What McCarthy did, Mike Johnson cobbling together a cobbling together a bipartisan plan to pay the country's bills, and that's what got McCarthy thrown out. And now they're going to go with this from Mike Johnson. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. And by the way, the yeah, speaker, well, Mike Mike Johnson just uh, just stood up and endorsed uh, Donald Trump for president. So there's a yeah. lot going on here. What were you going to say? Yeah. So so I think there needs to be a little bit of context added to what happened with Speaker Johnson versus what happened with Speaker McCarthy in terms of handling the CR. You know, yes, the bills are very similar in terms of just an extent, a simple extension of fiscal year 2023 spending levels. But I think in Johnson's case, you know, McCarthy put that bill out on a Saturday. They voted for it on a Saturday. And even Democrats were saying that, that Democrats had to stall, even though they were getting what they wanted, because they wanted time to read the bill and make sure there was, no, was nothing you know, flawed inside it. So that's what in this case, you have Speaker Johnson, who dropped it on a Saturday, but then voted for it on a Tuesday, gave his members time to read it and and, you know, allowed Democrats time to read it as well. So he was able to get through, you know, with a little bit more, I think, transparency. And I think that that has helped him versus what hurt McCarthy, which was the the fact you did all that in one day. And then, of course, you went on the different networks and, and were critical of Democrats after that, too. So it is a little bit different in terms of how Speaker Johnson went about this though the bills are pretty similar. Ryan Schmeltz, Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor. I thought what got uh, what's-his-name in trouble, McCarthy, was uh, that he he needed Democrats to help him get this thing done, and so did Mike Johnson needed Democrats. Yeah. And by the way, in terms of this last-minute uh, spring the bill on people, uh, after diving into this a little bit, I found out that that's not unusual for speakers of the no, House, no, including Nancy Pelosi did the same thing. Oh, yeah. Well, it, well, that's what angered Republicans about what, about uh, Kevin McCarthy doing it, because McCarthy has is, is, is promised to abide by something called the 72-hour rule, which essentially says that I will give you 72 hours to read a bill before you vote on that. He did not do that with the government shutdown. I think members were aware that it was an option to do a clean CR, but then he went about doing it and had the vote just a few hours later. 
So that frustrated a lot of conservatives, whereas Johnson had given them 72 hours to read the, 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 the bill that just passed, and therefore they're a little more open-minded to that. Plus, I think they are giving him the benefit of the doubt with the fact that he's been on the job for like three weeks. Maybe there is a honeymoon after all. Appreciate you shedding light and insight into all of the news you always do with us. Ryan Schmelz, Fox News correspondent and fine WJR contributor. Thanks, Ryan. Hey, thank you, Paul. Have a good one. You do the same as we continue in focus on WJR. Well, here we go again. Those of us who've been around a while remember very clearly the work of Dr. Jack Kevorkian, uh, represented uh, very well by Attorney Jeffrey Feiger, who we hope is uh, feeling better these days. Uh, the fact of the matter is, at the time, people said that what, what Dr. Kevorkian was trying to get through uh, death with dignity, uh, uh, a way for people to choose to end their own life, probably set back that uh, idea a bit because it was said at the time doctors were probably already helping people leave uh, this earth quietly. And once this came up as a big story, then everyone backed off because it became a big legal issue. Well, it's back again as Senators Mary Cavanaugh, Democrat from Redford Township, Kevin Hertel, Democrat from St. Clair Shores, Sam Singa, Democrat from East Lansing, and Veronica Kleinfeld, Democrat from East Point, have introduced a Death with Dignity legislative package comprised of Senate Bills 678 to 681. This legislation would allow terminally ill patients the option to request and use prescribed medication to end their lives peacefully on their own timeline. Uh, Let's talk about it, and we have a chance to do that with State Senator Kevin Hertel, who's on the other end of our line right now. Senator, good to talk with you. Good to talk with you as well, Paul W., and i got to tell you, I like this new time slot, uh, different than some of the other uh, early morning spots we've had together. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's certainly easier on the host. Not always so easy for our listeners to be uh, near a radio noon to two, but I hope they will be, and if not, they can go to thegreatvoice.com and hear the podcast of the show. But meanwhile, here we go. The first thing I thought about, frankly, having had elderly parents, grandparents, etc., lucky enough to live to be 100 or 96 or 98, with that old age comes cognitive failings. How do you deal with the elderly who are near death who don't appear to be any condition to choose to end their life? Yeah, I think it's a very good uh, question and, and honestly an important piece of this policy. Uh, we've included what I think are significant safeguards within this legislation to make sure that, um, you know, this really is used by people who are of sound mind who can make that decision on their own. So an individual would have to be diagnosed within uh, six months terminally ill, so diagnosed to, to be terminal with, you know, at six months or before. Uh, they would have to be uh, diagnosed by two doctors. So there's a second you know, medical opinion built into the process. Uh, they have to be able to request the medication, the prescription of their, by themselves. Uh, and there's a 15-day waiting period, which then they have to request it again in a written form and signing a statement. Um, the doctor has to determine that the individual is within sound mind and making this decision on their own. And there are, there's a required witness in the process as well. So uh, you know, we've learned from the policy that has passed in 10 other states and, and also the District of Columbia, you know, things that have worked, things that have not worked. And really, we're trying to be intentful in this legislation to make sure that those who can make this decision on their own and 
and they have to administer the medication on their own. Uh, that you know they're given the, the the best possible option to make this decision with their physician. Well, it's a difficult decision, obviously. Um, I'm glad that there is a, a two doctor rule. I'm glad there's a, a waiting period. I suspect you have to look at uh, at at protections for prescribing physicians. There has to be some laws in place so they don't get in trouble. But if you've gone through uh, an end-of-life experience, um, I don't know how we all did it before there was something called hospice care. God bless the hospice workers. But you also can see how, and we've heard about this for a while, the amount of money spent in end-of-life care, meaning the amount of money, in a sense, wasted at the end of someone's life, if we don't make some decisions soon, medicine will make those decisions for us. Did that go into some of your thinking? I, you know, I, I have really not looked at it from that angle. What I've heard from constituents and what I've, I've experienced uh, through you know, my own loved ones who have gone through very traumatic end-of-life experiences, uh, whether battling cancer uh, or other diseases, and I don't know if any of them would have ever used this as an option, but I think what we see is, People would like to know that it's there. If things were to get that bad, the pain is so bad that they have this option. And what we've seen in other states is that a third of the people that actually get the medication, go through the process and have their doctor prescribe it, don't ever even use it. They don't take it, but they have comfort knowing that if they need it, they have the option. Um, and so, you know, with the proper safeguards and with what we know today and how, you know, medicine has progressed, since the 90s, I think, when the last time this, uh, you know, the state of Michigan actually had this conversation as a whole, uh, I think we're in a different place today. Uh, this is very different than what we saw during the time of Jack Dvorky, and I try very hard to differentiate this from uh, what was going on at that time, uh, because he wasn't following any rules. And this would actually set rules for the state uh, to allow this process to occur. You know, this is fascinating. We're speaking uh, with uh, State Senator Kevin Hertel um, that... If Michigan passes this, it would join 10 states in Washington, D.C., who have expanded patients' power to make decisions regarding their end-of-life care. But it's fascinating to hear you say, Senator, that in these states what you found already is that people, given the opportunity, feel comfort in having that choice even if they don't use it. That was one of the, the data points that really stuck out to me when researching this legislation. Uh, the amount of people that, that simply do not use the pill, even though they've gone through the process to get the prescription. And, and, and you know, over three-quarters of the, the people we've seen obtain these prescriptions in other states are cancer patients. Uh, they're people that are going through a very difficult illness, and they make this decision with their family and with their doctor. Uh, and so, you know, we've heard concerns of, you know, vulnerable populations, and I think that's a concern that's very valid and we have to address. Yeah. Um, but these are people that have, you know, they're with their doctor and making these decisions on their own. And, uh, you know, we don't see this being utilized in huge numbers in other states. Um, so, it's, you know, we, and we can look and see from the policy that's been in other places that there hasn't been any widespread abuse of it as well. Senator, I appreciate you giving us your side of this story, and we'll keep following it. State Senator Kevin Hertel with us here in Focus. We're out of time. Uh, go to thegreatvoice.com for the podcasts of the show. Stand by for news and JR Afternoon with Chris Renwick. And I want you to go on out and make it a 
great rest of the day. It's another beautiful day. On your way to making each and every day count, each day is a gift. Have a great one. Regards, Paul W. Smith.